Hey, this morning we're going to continue on our series um, of the Christmas playlist. And in this series, um, we are taking some of the most loved and well-known Christmas carols and talking not only um, about them, but about the backstories that are part of that and also the scriptures um, from which um, they find their source of meaning and also um, how God has used these songs over the period of time. And so last week we started um, with O Holy Night and Pastor Dave Luthie led us in that. And so today um, my song is called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Anybody know that song? Yes, see we're already all together on this. Um, you know, one of the things that um, interested me from last week was that we talk about these much-loved songs of faith as though everybody agrees this is a wonderful song. And yet part of our job is to go back and to see the history of these songs and to realise that um, the history is not always as joyful and accepting as we know. This little cartoon that I've put up on the screen here, um, I remember it well from um, many years ago in Leadership Magazine. Um, and it's a, a pastor talking to his son and he's showing him his war wounds and he says, I got that scar from the chairman of the board during the second battle of guitars in the sanctuary back in 1971. And um, I'm old enough to remember some of the worship wars, maybe 70s, 80s um, and whatever. And um, we might smile, but it's amazing how people, even people of faith and people in the same church, can sometimes come to conflict about the songs that we sing and the music that we use. In fact, one of the stories that's indelled in my mind was when I was very much younger, I was I'm going to preach one Sunday morning and I was in the foyer of the church that was our home church at that stage and this rather large gentleman came towards me with that look in his eye that said, I might be in trouble. Um, he, he sort of backed me. You know how people back you against the wall? They, they keep stepping into your personal space and you keep stepping back. And I thought I was really in trouble when I hit the wall. And he put one arm on one side and one arm on the other. And he, he, there was something that was really bugging him and it didn't take him long to tell me what it was. He said, did I know that drums were of the devil and that drums in the church was the worst possible thing that we could have? And did I know that the only instrument that should be in a church was the organ? And um, look, when I was young, I wasn't probably as wise as I am now. I'm just thinking, how do I get out of this awkward situation? Um, I'd like to be able to say I had some words of wisdom for him, but I was just scared. And um, I said to him, I said, brother, I said, I've got to preach in a few minutes and this conversation isn't helping my preparation. <laughs> he, he sort of took a step back and I whizzed under his arm and escaped into the church, sat down the front and thought I was safe for a while. Um, why am I telling you that story? Because that's not new to churches um, a Christian folk through the generations have sometimes allowed differences of view about um, tunes and about words to mar their fellowship and their worship of God. And this is true of Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. Do you know, Hark the Herald was written by Charles Wesley. 
um, brother of John Wesley, who was one of the key leaders of the great re English revivals in the 1700s. Charles Wesley wrote many, many songs. And this song that he wrote, um, it was actually never written, written as a Christmas song. It was written as a hymn, and it was written with a very slow, dirge-like tune. Not very spectacular tune at all. In fact, even the words were different. When he wrote the words, his, his um, hymn started, Hark how all the welkin rings. Does that sound familiar? Harken how all the welkin rings. And do you know what happened? There was another um, evangelist of that time called George Whitfield. And George Whitfield got hold of Charles Wesley's song and he thought, nah, um, don't really like how, hark how all the welkins ring. So he changed the words to hark the herald angels sing. And he did this without any reference to Charles Wesley. He just thought this would be a good way to do it. Do you know what Charles Wesley's response was? This is, this is his response. Many gentlemen have done my brother and me the honour to reprint many of our hymns. Now, they are perfectly welcome to do so, provided they print them just as they are. But should anyone change their words, he sniffed, they should add a disclaimer absolving the Wesleys for the dog rule of other men. Goodness me, how do we as Christians sometimes get caught up in all this toing and froing about music and words? The story gets better because, as I said, the tune was really very slow and ponderous. And so after both those gentlemen had passed away a hundred years later, somebody decided that it was too old and so they put a, a then modern tune to it and shock and horror, the modern tune wasn't a sacred church tune, it was a, a secular tune by somebody called Felix Mendelssohn. And so we sing a song much loved and accepted by all, which has a bit of a checkered past in terms of what people thought about it. And the moral of that whole thing is that worship should never be about who wrote it, what the origin of the words are, or what's my preferred style of music, because worship is not about those things. Worship is about our relationship with God. And it's about us honouring God and God receiving our praise as we do that. And it should be something that unifies us, not divides us. You know, I think the Apostle Paul um, knew about the worship wars a bit too. And I love his verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19. Um, and you've got to see him talking to the church at Ephesus. And I think he's trying to say that we worship God with our hearts. And, and that covers a whole range of music. And he says this, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. That's a whole governance, isn't it? A whole, whole lot of um, different types of songs. Sing and make music in your heart. That's what God calls us to do. So with that backstory gone, let's look at some scripture and think about the content of this wonderful um, carol that we sing. And if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14. The words will be on the screen as well. It goes like this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby 
keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. This will be a sign to you and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. You know, this song reminds us about the significance and importance of the birth of the Lord Jesus. And this morning I want to take the three verses of the song and talk about three different aspects of the importance of Jesus' birth. And the first one is that Jesus was physically born back in Bethlehem as a human baby all those years ago. And the first verse of the chorus or the carol um, tells us the events that happened on that historical day. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumphs of the sky. With angelic host proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. You know, it's very important that when we, we celebrate Christmas, we realise that we're celebrating the physical birth in, to mankind of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14, there are a number of things which um, affirm the physical nature of Jesus' birth. Um, we can picture um, a night with shepherds at night watching over their sheep. Um, we, can, we can understand um, a baby being born in a specific place like Bethlehem. You know, that's sometimes how we identify ourselves, isn't it? All of us were born in a place. In fact, I would dare say I was born in a place that nobody else in this whole room was born in. Is anybody else born in Billericay in Essex? No, I didn't think so. I even had trouble spelling Billericay for the first 20 years of my life because I didn't know whether it was one L or two, but and now that I think about it, I've forgotten how to spell it. Um, but he was born in a place. Um, we can understand that there was a mother and father and we can understand that um, the poor conditions, they couldn't be in an inn and so they were in a stable. And some of those details of um, getting a manger and converting it into a crib, um, wrapping the baby with cloths, they are all of the natural, physical world of birth. And so we see that when we sing this song, first of all, that Jesus' real birth into history is really important. And yet there is also um, a supernatural event still in the context of that day where it's almost as though the doors of heaven are opened and the importance and the reality of Jesus' birth and its significance are proclaimed. And so we have in that reading that we read, an angel appears. Um, and not only an angel appears to bring a message from God, but it talks about the glory of the Lord shining all around. 
The angel says, don't be afraid because he is bringing good news of great joy to all people. Um, A heavenly announcement of the birth of a little baby tells us it's significant. And if that's not enough, we see then that the whole skies seem to open up and the shepherds um, have a glimpse into heaven, so to speak, when the heavenly host, the great company, start praising God. It's almost in that moment um, that heaven and earth are touching in an even more significant way um, than in most of the other points in history. And I, I was just thinking about that, you know, the connection of heaven and earth. Um, God's kingdom is so much greater than our worldly life, but God loves and wants to connect with us. I don't know if any of you um, are familiar with the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. Anybody read them as children or know the story? If you haven't read them, they're not just kids' books. They are rich with meaning. C.S. Lewis was a Christian author who wrote these books. And if you look at the books, it talks about this great kingdom of Narnia and about the humankind kingdom where the sons of Adam and Eve live. And um, there are seven books in the title. And if you want to look at it carefully, you'll see that the first one, which I think is called The Magician's Nephew, is all about the creation of the world. The last one, The Last Battle, is all about the second coming of Christ. Probably the most well-known one, and um, if you haven't read the book, you might have seen the movie, The Witch, The Lion and the Wardrobe, is all about God's redemption as the lion lays down his life so that people can be redeemed. And when I thought about that book series, I thought to myself, it was really trying to tell us that we live in a world and sometimes we think our world is quite structured and isolated. But there's a much greater world, a heavenly kingdom that is not only real but interacting in various points and times with us in this world as well. And so in this first verse, we see that as we sing Hark the Herald, we are celebrating the birth of a child. Yes, we are. But a special child announced by God for great purposes. There's a second way to look at it, and the second verse takes up another theme, I think. Not only was Jesus born as an earthly child, but Jesus was no ordinary child because whilst he was fully man, he was also born fully God. So verse 2 says this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased with us to dwell, Jesus is our Emmanuel. And that word Emmanuel or I or E, it's spelt differently depending on which um, language source you take, um, really is saying God with us. And so when we read in Luke chapter 2 verses 8 to 14, we don't only see that Jesus was born as a baby in human flesh, but we see that Jesus came to be so much more than that. He came as part of the Godhead who became flesh to live amongst us. Let me just do a little bit of um, theology here and say... Don't ever think that Jesus was part human and part um, God. Jesus was fully human and fully God at the same time. 
Don't ever ask the question, well, is Jesus acting in this way because that's his human part or is Jesus acting this way because this is his divine part? Those two things were merged together and Jesus was fully God and fully human at the same time. He can understand like us. He can sympathise with our situation. He's experienced the temptations that we've experienced and yet he is also the sinless one, the one who was sent by the Father to pay the price of sin. You know, it's very special when we celebrate Christmas because people often think about God as being somebody out of our understanding range. But in Jesus Christ, we got to know God intimately through our Lord Jesus Christ, who for 33 years lived on this earth. The miracle of Christmas was that the Lord Jesus was prepared to come from heaven in all his glory, to lay aside that and become a human person for our benefit. Makes Christmas very special, doesn't it? makes Christmas very special. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 6 to 11, gives us a picture of what it was that um, Jesus had did by becoming incarnate, becoming man. He says this, this is talking about Jesus, who being in a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used into his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord through the God, to the glory of God the Father. So the carol reminds us not only that Jesus was born, but it also reminds us that he came God with us so that we might know God in a special way. And that passage that we were looking at, Luke chapter 2, verse 11, puts it this way. He says, Today in the town of David... A saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. Notice how Luke talks about Jesus' identity using those three words. First of all, he's a saviour. Jesus' coming to earth was not some um, accident or random act. He came with intention so that we human beings, impacted by sin and separated from God, could be restored to God through our Lord Jesus Christ and the price that he paid for our sins on the cross. So when we sing the carol, we shouldn't just be thinking about a baby in a manger. We should be thinking about the gift of the Son of God, his life, his death, his resurrection, so that we can be saved in a relationship with God. Luke makes it even clearer because he says not only is it his saviour, but he is also the Messiah. And the Messiah, both in the Jewish um, history, um, there was the expectation that um, God would send one to redeem and save the people. But we read elsewhere in Scripture that the whole of creation yearned for the coming of the one that God was going to send to make this world right. And so here we see at the very beginning there is acknowledgement that he is the Saviour. 
And then we also see the word Lord. And often in the New Testament, the word Lord is a way of saying God's special name of Yahweh, of God. And so this passage is saying he is born, he is a saviour to the world. He is born to be the Messiah who will save his people. And in fact, he is the Lord or God, God with us, Emmanuel. And so the second verse reminds us of God's mission on this life, his purpose. And we can't celebrate Christmas with just keeping Jesus confined to the cradle. We should celebrate Christmas because of the person who he is, God with us. And then the third verse um, is another perspective of Christ because it starts to talk about not only this life and about our redemption but the fact that God will come again, that all things will be made right, that this one Lord Jesus um, is not only about an earthly life but an eternal existence. Um, and he will go on and we read the words here. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings risen and healing in his wings. Mid he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. At Christmas time, we celebrate the peace on earth that God brings. You know, we often talk about um, that Christmas is about peace on earth and goodwill to men. And yet there must be sometimes when we stop and we think about the world we live in. If peace on earth and goodwill to men came in its fullness when Jesus was born, then we haven't done a very good job with it, have we? Because there's wars, there's famine, there's um, all sorts of pain in people's lives. Um, the peace that Jesus brought at his birth was the start of the ushering in of the kingdom, but the fulfilment of it is yet to come. Um, Jesus understood this when he spoke in his ministry in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 and tried to explain to the people his purpose of being there. He said, this time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. So Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is coming and is coming upon us but this is a time where people can repent and receive of the good news. The Bible tells us that the promise of Christ's coming um, will usher in this totality and this completion. Let's look more closely at the last verse in our passage of Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where it says, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those his favour rests. Do you know something that when it talks about earth and peace to those whom his favour rests, it actually doesn't say and peace to everybody. I wonder what it means when it says, on whom his favour rests. Well, I think it's tied up to the fact that this is a time of opportunity for people to respond to God's love and grace. We often talk about grace as being undeserved favour, something that's not earned but given. And certainly we are familiar um, with God's mission to save people to himself, not by force or by edict, but by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace are we saved through faith. It's a gift of God, lest anybody should boast. And so as we sing this time, we see that peace has come through Christ. 
But now is a time where people have the opportunity to accept that peace for themselves personally. You know, the um, early Christian churches, they were impatient. They wanted to know, well, if Jesus was going to come again and put the world right, why didn't he do it straight away instead of going through hardship and difficulty and persecution? And Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, a response to that question, he said, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting that anybody should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. I'm going to invite the the musicians to come and join me on the stage, just as we conclude thinking about this carol. Three verses, but the first word is really important. What's the first word? Hark. It's sort of like wake up, pay attention, listen to what is being said. And that's a great way to finish with our message this morning is to say... We can sing this song with ambivalence, out of routine and tradition, but this morning we're going to sing it together and I'm going to ask you to hark and to think about the words as we sing them and to actually worship God through that. Um, If you want a summary of what the song is really about, I think you can't go any further than John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the spirit in which we can sing this song in true worship to God. Remember, true worship is not about the origin or the nature of the words. It's not even the style of music. It's about the heart of us, the worshipper, connecting with the heart of God who wants to love us as his children. And so I'm going to invite us now to stand and um, sing this song together, Hark the Herald.